Letter eighteen of Letters on England by Voltaire, edited by Henry Morley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cheyenne Arrowsmith. Letters on England by Voltaire. Letter eighteen on tragedy. The English as well as the Spaniards were possessed of theatres at a time when the French had no more than moving itinerant stages. Shakespeare, who was considered as the Corneille of the first mentioned nation, was pretty nearly contemporary with Lobet de Vega, and he created, as it were, the English theatre. Shakespeare boasted a strong fruitful genius he was natural and sublime but had not so much as a single spark of good taste or knew one rule of the drama i will now hazard a random but at the same time true reflection which is that the great merit of this dramatic poet has been the ruin of the english stage there are such beautiful such noble such dreadful scenes in this writer's monstrous farces to which the name of tragedy is given that they have always been exhibited with great success time which alone gives repetition to writers at last makes their very faults venerable most of the whimsical gigantic images of this poet have through length of time it being a hundred and fifty years since they were first drawn acquired a right of passing for sublime most of the modern dramatic writers have copied him but the touches and the descriptions which are applauded in shakespeare are hissed at in these writers and you will easily believe that the veneration in which this author is held increases in proportion to the contempt which is shown to the moderns dramatic writers don't consider that they should not imitate him and the ill success of shakespeare's imitators produces no other effect than to make him be considered as inimitable you remember that in a tragedy of othello more of venice a most tender piece a man strangles his wife on the stage and that the poor woman whilst she is strangling cries aloud that she dies very unjustly you know that in hamlet prince of denmark two grave diggers make a grave and are all the time drinking singing ballads and making humorous reflections natural indeed enough to persons of their profession on the several skulls they throw up with their spades but a circumstance which will surprise you is that this ridiculous incident has been imitated in the reign of king charles the second which was that of politeness and the golden age of the liberal arts otway in his venice preserved introduces antonio the senator and naki his courtesan in the midst of the horrors of the marquis of bedmar's conspiracy antonio the superannuated senator plays in his mistress's presence all the apish tricks of a lewd impotent debauchee 
who is quite frantic and out of his senses he mimics a bull and a dog and bites his mistress's legs who kicks and whips him however the players have struck these buffooneries which indeed were calculated merely for the drags of the people out of otway's tragedy but they have still left in shakespeare's julius caesar the jokes of the roman shoemakers and cobblers who are introduced in the same scene with brutus and cassius you will undoubtedly complain that those who have hitherto discoursed with you on the english stage and especially on the celebrated shakespeare have taken notice only of his errors and that no one has translated any of those strong those forcible passages which atone for all his faults but to this i will answer that nothing is easier than to exhibit in prose all the silly impotences which a poet may have thrown out but that it is a very difficult task to translate his fine verses all your junior academical sophs who set up for censors of the eminent writers compile whole volumes but methinks two pages which display some of the beauties of great geniuses are of indefinitely more value than all the idle rhapsodists of those commentators and i will join in opinion with all persons of good taste in declaring that greater advantage may be reaped from a dozen verses of homer or virgil than from all the critiques put together which have been made on those two great poets i have ventured to translate some passages of the most celebrated english poets and shall now give you one from shakespeare pardon the blemishes of the translation for the sake of the original and remember always that when you see a version you see merely a faint print of a beautiful picture i have made a choice of part of the celebrated soliloquy in hamlet which you may remember is as follows to be or not to be that is the question whether it is nobler in a mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against the sea of troubles and by opposing end them to die to sleep no more and by the sleep to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is here to tis a consummation devoutly to be wished to die to sleep to sleep perchance to dream oh there's the rub for in that sleep of death what dreams may come when we have shuffled off this mortal coil must give us pause there is the respect that makes calamity of so long life for who would bear the whips and scorns of time the oppressor's wrong the poor man's contumely the puns of despised love the law's delay the insolence of office and the spurs that patient merit 
of the unworthy takes when he himself might his quietus make with a bare bodkin who would fardos bear to groan and sweat under a weary life but that the dread of something after death the undiscovered country from whose bourne no traveller's returns puzzles the wheel and makes us rather bear those ills we have than fly to others that we know not of thus conscience does make cowards of us all and thus the native hue of resolution is sicklied over with the pale cast of thought and enterprises of great weight and moment with this regard their currents turn awry and lose the name of action my version of it runs thus Demeure. Il faut choisir et passer à l'instant, de la vie à l'amour ou de l'être au nion. Dieu crèle, s'il en est, éclairait mon courage. Faut-il vieillir, courbé sous la main qui m'outrage, supporter ou finir mon malheur et mon sort? Qui suis-je? Qui m'arrête? Et qu'est-ce que l'amour? C'est la fin de nos mots, c'est mon unique asile. Après de longs transports, c'est un sommeil tranquille. On s'endort et tout meurt, mais un affreux réveillé doit succéder peut-être aux douceurs du sommeil. On nous menace, on dit que cette courte vie de tourment éternel est trop si trop suivie. Ô oh mort, moment fatal, affreuse éternité, tu cœur à ton seul nom ce glace épouvanté. Et qui pourquoi sans toi supporter cette vie, de ne prêtre montreur bannir l'hypocrisie, d'une indigne maîtresse encensée les erreurs, rampée sous un ministère adorer ses auteurs et montrer les longueurs de son âme abattue en des amiens qui détournent la vue l'amour sera trop douce en ses extrémités mais le scrupule parle et nous crie arrêtez il devint à nos mains cet heureux homicide et d'un héros guerrier fait un chrétien timide, etc. Do not imagine that I have translated Shakespeare in a servile manner. Woe to the writer who gives a literal version, who by rendering every word of his original, by that very means enervates the sense and extinguishes all the fire of it. It is on such an occasion one may justly affirm that the letter kills, but the spirit quickens. 
here follows another passage copied from a celebrated tragic writer among the english it is dryden a poet in the reign of charles the second a writer whose genius was too exuberant and not accompanied with judgment enough had he written only a tenth part of the works he left behind him his character would have been conspicuous in every part but his great fault is his having endeavoured to be universal the passage in question is as follows when i consider life tis is all a cheat yet fooled by hope men favour the deceit trust on and think to-morrow will repay to-morrow's falser than the former day lies more and while it says we shall be blessed with some new joy cuts off what we possessed strange age, none would live past the years again yet all hope pleasure in what yet remain and from the drags of life think to receive what the first sprightly running could not give i am tired with waiting for this chimic gold which fools us young and beggars us when old i shall now give you my translation de dessein en regret et d'erreur en désir les mortals sans sensés promènent leur folie dans des malheurs présents dans l'espoir des plaisirs nous ne vivons jamais nous attendons la vie demain demain dit-on va combler tous nos voeux demain vient et nous les encore plus malheureux quelle est l'erreur hélas du soin qui nous devore nul de nous ne vous doit recommencer son corps de nos premiers moments nous maudissons l'aurore et de la nuit qui vient nous entendons encore ce qu'on en vain promis le plus beau de nos jours etc it is in these detached passages that the english have hitherto excelled the dramatic pieces most of which are barbarous and without decorum order or verisimilitude dart such resplendent flashes through this gleam as amaze and astonish the star is too much inflated too unnatural too closely copied from the hebrew writers who abound so much with the asiatic fustian then it must be also confessed that the stilts of the figurative style on which the english tongue is lifted up raises the genius at the same time very far aloft though with an irregular pace the first english writer who composed a regular tragedy and infused a spirit of elegance through every part of it was the illustrious mr adson his cato is a masterpiece both with regard to the diction and to the beauty and harmony of the numbers the character of cato is in my opinion vastly superior to that of cornelia in the pompey of cornille 
for Cato is great without anything like fashion, and Cornelia, who besides is not a necessary character, tends sometimes to bombast. Mr. Addison's Cato appears to me the greatest character that was ever brought upon any stage, but then the rest of them do not correspond to the dignity of it, and this dramatic piece so excellently well writ is disfigured by dull love plot which spreads a certain languor over the whole that quite murders it the custom of introducing love at random and at any rate in a drama passed from paris to london about sixteen sixty with our ribbons and our perukes the ladies who adorn the theatrical circle there in like manner as in this city will suffer love only to be the theme of every conversation the judicious mr adson had the effeminate complaisance to soften the severity of his dramatic character so as to adapt it to the manners of the age and from an endeavour to please quite ruined a masterpiece in its kind since his time the drama is become more regular the audience more difficult to be pleased and writers more correct and less bold i have seen some new pieces that were written with great regularity but which at the same time were very flat and insipid one would think that the english had been hitherto formed to produce irregular beauties only the shining monsters of shakespeare give infinite more delight than the judicious image of the moderns hitherto the poetical genius of the english resembles a tufted tree planted by the hand of nature that throws out a thousand branches at random and spreads unequally but with great vigour it dies if you attempt to force its nature and to lop and dress it in the same manner as the trees of the garden of marley end of letter eighteen recording by cheyenne arrowsmith